Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the South Africa media briefing to be led by President Cyril Ramaphosa. Just to introduce the ministers joining the president on the president's left, we have Dr. Naledi Pando, who is our Minister of International Relations and Cooperation. On the president's right, we have our Minister of Forestry, Fisheries and Environment, Ms. Barbara Chrissy. I'll now hand over to the president for opening remarks, and thereafter we'll take questions. As you know, we are only allocated 30 minutes in this facility. By half past 12, we'll have to have concluded our briefing. Mr. President, the floor is yours. Thank you very much, and thank you to all of you for being here. South Africa came to COP27 to advance a number of key messages. The first one being that we need secure maximum ambition in terms of climate action and that the world needs to go beyond just merely talking about taking action on climate action and act. We also came here to call on our partners from developed economies to honor their previous commitments in order to provide support to developing economy countries like South Africa and a number of them in Southern Africa and other parts of the world. The third one was to build on progress made in Glasgow on the importance of just transitions and also to advance discussions on the special needs and circumstances of countries in Africa. Now, our experience here in COP27 has been a good experience. We are encouraged by the call that was made by His Excellency President of Egypt, President al-Sisi, that we need more action and more ambition in implementing all the climate action commitments. We also agree with the Secretary General of the United Nations, Antonio Guterres, that we can no longer afford any further delays in mitigating the effect of climate change. African countries are losing between 3 to 5% of their GDP due to the effects of climate change. There is consensus from across the board that just transitions must, just must be just and they must also be inclusive, which is particularly important for developing economy countries which are the worst affected by climate change. Now, although Africa itself carries the least responsibility for climate change, the continent experiences much of its harshest effects, and this reality is not disputed. There is agreement that for transitions to be just, vulnerable workers and vulnerable communities need to be included in designing just solutions. The South African Cabinet recently endorsed our National Just 
Energy Transition Investment Plan as a basis for our pathway towards a low-carbon climate resilient society. And according to the plan, South Africa will need approximately $98 billion to correct an error that I made, not $98 trillion, but $98 billion over the next five years to enable a just transition and achieve the ambitious targets we set out in our nationally determined contribution. The plan includes a portfolio of investments across three priority sectors that have been identified, and they being the electricity sector, as well as the green hydrogen sector, which is a new sector for us, and the new energy vehicles sector, which is also a new sector. Now, the financing mechanisms, both from public finance institutions and commercial institutions, need to provide good concessional loans and be upweighted towards grants or non-debt instruments. And we have already communicated the structuring of the offer that they made to us at Glasgow that we need to restructure and have more grants as already we can see that our investment plan requires much more money to be properly and fully implemented. And we therefore call for the reform of the multilateral development banks as well as international financing institutions and the mobilization of commercial banks to meet the climate financing needs that we have already identified and that many countries have already identified. At COP26 in Glasgow last year, France, Germany, the United Kingdom, the United States, and the European Union offered support in the form of, as I said, the Just Energy Transition Partnership. It is our hope that this partnership will offer groundbreaking processes for funding by developed countries for the ambitious but necessary mitigation and adaptation goals of developing countries. Now, whilst we've been here, we've been holding a number of bilateral meetings aimed at consolidating common views on climate action, on just transitions, as well as on funding processes. So our meetings have been really beneficial, and we believe that it is only with substantial support that Africa can build the resilience that it is required to build to protect itself and safeguard our economies, it is only with significant additional funding that we can ensure that future generations of South Africans and indeed Africa at large live in an environment that is clean, conducive to health and well-being, 
and that has not been destroyed because of the inaction of today's leaders. I thank you. Very much, Mr. President. We'll now open the floor to questions. Please introduce yourself and fire away. Darren Graham from BBC News. Um, the deal last year from Glasgow uh, was uh, seen as an example of how rich countries can help developing ones, and many uh, developed nations used it as an example. Uh, what's your take on that, and, and how much of the offer was a grant, how much was loans, and how much is other climate finance? Mr. President? The deal that was struck at COP26 in Glasgow was quite historic in the sense that following the various commitments that had been made in the past to make funding available, we were actually seeing real money that was being committed, which amounted to 8.5 billion US dollars And the money was categorized into a variety of segments. As we looked more closely at it, we found that in the end only 2.7% was grant money. And other portions were concessional loans. And other portions were loans that would be offered by development funding institutions as well as your normal commercial institutions. As we were drafting our investment plan, we came up to the figure that will help fund our just transition over the next five years, and it amounted to about 98 billion US dollars, which would be about 1.5 trillion South African rands. Earlier, I corrected myself, but this is the amount of money that will be required. And we have communicated this to our partners and have said that because South Africa already carries a fairly sizable loan burden, which it has to service from its fiscus, we require more grant funding. Now, Fortunately, that message seems to have been well received to those who have spoken to and yesterday in our bilaterals we reiterated the need for grant funding to be upgraded and we're hoping that our discussions will continue in that vein where it consolidates a real partnership, a partnership that says we're here to give support and in our case, largely because our continent only contributes 1% or so of the damage that's been caused to the climate. And we believe that the more industrialized countries and the countries that are more developed need to live up to the commitments that they have made, knowing fully well that they have, through the development of their own economies contributed a great deal more to the damage that many countries on our continent now labor under. So we are continuing in our discussions with them 
And because it was historic and it could well be the model around which other deals and partnerships are struck with other countries, it is something that we need to hold up as a model which can either be improved or scaled up when it comes to other places in the world. But it is a process through which we believe your more developed economies will begin to live up to some of the commitments that they have made. In the end, the transition that is going to require quite a lot of funding. Thank you. Okay, we have two more questions. I'll take the lady in front. Thank you so much. Uh, my name is Yenzu Mbuyisa. I'm from South Africa as well, so San Bonani. Um, thank you so much for that talk as well. I just want to touch on a couple of points that you mentioned, particularly in your beginning of your talk about the three actions that South Africa wants to, t um, well, aspires towards within the climate space, and that's um, committing to more actions and securing maximum ambitions towards the um, actions towards climate change. And you also wanted to call on our partner countries, especially developed nations, to offer us more support and then building um, on the progress from Glasgow. And to this, I just want to understand a bit maybe in terms of asking for support, um, how much is the governance or the presidency investing in forging collaborations between other countries, particularly those within Africa? Because um, I'm a climate student at the moment, and what we've noticed is that there is a significant lack of research done on the African continent, which makes it quite difficult when we approach developing nations, asking them for assistance in, way, in, in any way, um, particularly because of the fact that they're not aware of our ecosystems and the special needs that you mentioned as well that the African continent has. Um, so how is the, govern um, how is the presidency um, fostering more collaboration amongst nations and how is it also building on the amount of knowledge systems and knowledge pools and the narrative of Africa and the climate and the climate um, sort of predicament that we face because it's quite particular and unique compared to the rest of the world. Um, another thing whilst I see Umam Naledi up as well, um, in terms of research and investing within the research space um, in universities and also at the high school level, is there any plan that South Africa has in making sure that people are more aware of what climate change actually is and what environmental implications there are for them as a people? And are you looking at building on that capacity? Because like I say, there's a significant lack of research and lack of knowledge just within amongst people within South Africa. And I think that's our detriment. And we know that the biggest, the, the biggest effort that we can put towards fighting climate change or mitigating and forcing adaptation is through changing people's perception, understanding how they contribute to the problem and how they can thus resolve it. Um, so I just want to understand those two aspects. So it's collaboration and how much are we investing into education, not just at the senior level or the tertiary level, but also just for normal layman people who are, in my opinion, the most vulnerable people um, what is the presidency and South Africa doing as a nation? Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, my name is Mark Tilley. I'm a journalist with Carbon Pulse. Uh, I'm just wondering if you could provide a bit more detail on the U.S. Uh, plan to involve the private sector by giving them the opportunity to earn carbon credits as part of this initiative. Thank you. My name is Nick Masinski. I'm a professor at University of Maine. 
Um, my question is about um, what is South Africa's role within the uh, African group of negotiators and their uh, hope for bringing about consensus among African countries' um, strategy here at COP? Okay, thank you very much. Um, Mr. President? Well, the first question from Ianzi uh, Wembuiso is a typically student type of question that deals with uh, research and things like that. Um, I'm going to ask both ministers, Umama uh, Barbara Krisi, Umama Naledi Pando. Uh, whom you correctly call Mama. Uh, to answer both the questions that you have posed to them. But just to start off by saying, I appointed the Presidential Climate Change Commission, which has brought together a whole range of stakeholders from government and not only departments that deal with climate issues, but a number of departments from Treasury, that is finance, through to public works, right through to agriculture and environment, uh, as well as international relations are part of this commission. It also brings together private sector companies that are well steeped in environmental issues from companies that deal with uh, fossil fuels, products, and all that. It also brings together climate change activists in our country and research institutions. So they are all combined into this uh, commission. And yesterday, in our roundtable, we uh, made a suggestion that countries should set up an institutional base and framework to enable various people in the country to exchange views on climate change matters because it is a nationwide issue. It affects the lives of people. It should not only be uh, an elite type of uh, uh, function or involvement. And through this commission, we've been able to uh, initiate research, uh, and to get a number of people to get involved in what we are meant to do on climate change. But I'll ask Minister Creasy to answer the other part of your question and thereafter Minister Pando to also answer the issue of education and research. Minister. Uh, thank you very much and good morning to everybody. Um, South Africa participates in the international panel on climate change and uh, Professor Deborah Roberts, who is a well-known South African researcher on climate change, actually has chaired the aspect of that panel that has done research into the impact of climate change on Africa. And what you would have understood if, if um, I'm sure you've looked at the IPC, the sixth IPCC report, that there's considerable evidence of the impact of climate change on Africa for the first time. And that is really as a, as a result of the important work that Professor Deborah Roberts has been leading um, and would really represent our attempt 
to ensure that we are able to back up with evidence our claim that um, Africa, sub-Saharan Africa is warming at, at twice the global rate. I think what's also important to say is that within the school curriculum, there has always been a module on climate change, um, and um, obviously those modules are in both the life skills a life orientation part of the curriculum, so they're available to all children. Um, but there also would be greater emphasis in the geography and the life, ori uh, life skills. What uh, we used to call it biology. I forget what the, what life sciences. Thank you. Um, it's it, in in that curriculum. There would be more um, information, and obviously that's very important because young people would be growing up in a world where, where that knowledge would be an important part of their baseline information. We also do, uh, we have various partnerships with youth organizations and with the Presidential Climate Commission where we're doing public outreach knowledge on this. And <clears throat> we would see that as, as being um, a very important contribution. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. President. And uh, good afternoon, everyone. Um, around 2007, South Africa introduced uh, environment studies into the curriculum in schools, and that has been part of the uh, education program. All students have to do life orientation, so all of them would uh, learn about the challenge of sustaining the environment and the damage uh, related to climate change. So it's been part of the curriculum uh, for over 15 years now. Um, we've also used, for example, the uh, National School Feeding Program to encourage uh, schools to have school gardens and to actually make the garden subject that are included in the project base of the life orientation uh, module. So it's been uh, very much a key part of the curriculum. Um, I'm a little surprised uh, with your uh, suggestion that there's a lack of research in this area because one of the top performing areas in terms of citations is environment sciences for South Africa. Very productive. Uh, University of Cape Town, University of Pretoria, uh, WITS, and even Venda University with work that they do in this sector. So if you look at citations, environment sciences is one of the most important, followed by astronomy uh, sciences, then of course clinical uh, sciences and health research. Um, in terms of partnerships, South Africa partners uh, with many research institutions throughout the world, particularly the German foundations and German universities on uh, environment, but on hydrogen, a lot of work is being done uh, with universities in the UK. Uh, South Africa, along with Egypt, are two African countries that participate very significantly in the EU Horizon 2020 programs, which is a research collaboration uh, funded through the EU, encouraging international uh, research partnerships. And we're one of three top African countries that participate in those uh, initiatives. So um, there, are, there are opportunities. Also with green hydrogen, there is an emerging partnership on the continent 
with a number of African countries uh, indicating an interest in developing uh, green hydrogen resources. South Africa has been researching this area and already has a Hydrogen South Africa initiative that's quite embedded uh, in the science and business community. But you also have Senegal uh, that is very active in this, Gabon, as well as Kenya. So I think uh, hydrogen is becoming a key area of interest, but it's quite a difficult transition to make given some of the challenges posed by storage and so on. But there are, there are advances, and I think uh, with good work, South Africa will probably become quite a leader in this area of uh, clean energy. Thank you very much, Minister. Mr. President, you can wrap us up for the last two questions. Yes, the one on uh, carbon credits as well as uh, the role that South Africa is playing uh, in relation to negotiations and dealing with other countries. Minister Barbara Creasy is well uh, steeped in all this, and I'm going to ask her to address those. Safe to say that what we are finding is that a number of countries that are prepared to participate in investments and supporting their companies are coming forward to, to make a number of uh, uh, support offers to various companies that come from their own countries. And I guess some of them could be related to carbon credits uh, that those companies could get, but Minister Creasy uh, will be able to give and shed a little bit more light on that, particularly in relation to the U.S. Minister. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. President. Yes, uh, we did see the announcement. I think it was the Financial Times made the announcement on the 6th of November that the um, U.S. was working on a new carbon credit framework. Um, that at this stage, they have not communicated directly with us on this, and um, we do hope we will receive further information in due course. If I can move on, Mr. President, to the, the issue of the, the African group of negotiators. Um, the way the situation works is that we begin the year um, with the CAHOSC meeting. Uh, CAHOSC is the, the climate um, uh, subcommittee of the African Union, where um, every year in February or March we would review the outcomes of COP the previous year, and then we would decide on certain key principles to, to guide the negotiating group. Um, we then go to AMSON, which is the African Ministers of Environment. This year, the meeting took place in Senegal in September, uh, where we would firm up our negotiating position. And um, clearly, now that the negotiations have actually started in, in earnest, we would be working together with the African group of negotiators. But we also work with the G77 and the basic countries in formulating um, common positions and trying to find la landing grounds for the negotiation. Thank you, Mr. President. Thank you very much. That brings us to the end of this media briefing. Thank you, Mr. President, and thank you, ministers. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen.